one thing that I would say we need to look at first, and of course, this is this is something you talk about quite a lot, is you know what what's the vision of the company, and I'll, and do your people buy it? Because one of the big things that gives us um, motivation is is a feeling of being something larger than us. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today I have the pleasure of Fraser uh, Duncan on the show. Uh, good afternoon to you, Fraser. Hello. Yes, uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks. Great. So you are the co-founder and CEO of Water. Uh, and Water is an award-winning employee insight app that uses automated pulse surveys to deliver live employee feedback data, giving you the power to make targeted, measurable improvements to retain talent, build a stronger co- company culture, and improve your bottom line. And, and with that, we're going to be exploring how to create employee engagement within organizations. Before we get there, Fraser, uh, what do you love about what you do? I think it's it's a number of things. I, I love, uh, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a tech geek, I suppose. I love playing with new new things. I love, you know, reaching for new improvements in AI and looking at how we can can use them. That bit's exciting. But I think the, the main thing is is really that, you know, what we're doing feels like it makes a meaningful difference to people's lives, both, you know, business leaders who now have a bit more information that they can go and actually fix the problems that are plaguing them, um, all the way through to the, you know, the end user, the employee who's able to, you know, share a problem and, and and find a solution about it. So I think it's you know it's it's great that I get to indulge my techiness while actually I I feel make a real um, sort of impact on on people's lives. I think that's that's the main thing. And what got you into sort of focusing on the whole aspects of employee engagement? What what was the what was the draw? What was your experience? What was the thing that really hooked you into that? <laughs> a few crack jobs <laughs> um, <laughs> um i mean yeah i suppose yeah we, we've all had you know jobs that we that we don't uh don't like right and and i, I sort of thought to myself well is is there not a better way you know we we spend more time working uh than we do by and large with our partners you know we we, we it, it takes up all of our lives when it's stressful it stops us sleeping it stops us doing the things that that we love and yet the, the flip side of that, that's the, you know, the individual side, but on a company side, you know, if people aren't engaged, if people don't, don't care and they don't go that extra mile, then equally you're not getting what you're, you're wanting. You're missing out on innovation. You're missing out on ideas. You're spending time trying to replace people. You're more losing. So everyone just ends up a bit, well, stressed and, and frustrated and, and, and sort of peddling away, achieving not a lot. And, and so, I just thought there's there's got to be something better. I mean, funnily enough, there's a story of where where our name came from, which I, I, I wheel out every now and again. We, we thought, you know, imagine a world where everyone really cared about their jobs. You know, the world's got plenty of problems, um, and a lot of which are are solvable by human need to be solved by humans. Everything from you know small scale, you know, problems that batteries aren't good enough, all the way through to oh my god, climate change is a big issue. Um, it, you know, it, if we all went to work really caring about the job we were doing. What a world that would be, and and that's the where where the name sort of came from. That sort of statement about you know let's let's channel our Louis Armstrong there and try and fix some problems. Oh, fantastic! I love having the sort of the backstory of how people got into what did they got into and, and and the passion. And you clearly you got passion. I know when I first met you, you had this sort of passion, and you wear your wonderful orange t shirts. Can always spot you in a in a networking scenario, and um, and so we're talking about employee engagement and you know, without being sort of, you know, everybody seems to know what they, 
let, let's just define what that is. What, what, we, what do we mean by that? So we just give some context to uh, when people are listening, the leaders are listening now, now, other people in the organization. What is employee engagement? Because people have a certain definition, and I just want to understand what, from your perspective, what do you think is a good definition of employee engagement? So for me, it's about the intrinsic motivation of an individual or company. Um, and what I mean by that is that the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic, sorry, I, I may have misspoken there, intrinsic motivation, I'm not sure if that's what I said. Um, ex- extrinsic motivation is your classic, um, I'll give you this money, you go do this thing for me, which is a sort of fundamental of any employment contract. Um, the the intrinsic motivation is how much do I actually care about it? You know, how much do 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 I do it ultimately for myself, my own satisfaction? An example here is very few people start learning to play the piano because they think it's going to make them rich. They start playing the piano because it's, while it's frustrating, it's rewarding and it makes you feel good and you get to share it with other people and you get to enjoy the music. And, you know, all of those things are intrinsic factors as opposed to this extrinsic. For a long time at work, we focused on in, sorry, extrinsic uh, factors. We've, you know, how many times have we heard of someone say, "Well, I don't know why they're complaining. I pay their salaries." Uh, thankfully, I hear this less and less from business leaders, but it, it certainly has been said a lot over the years. And and really, there's there's more to it than this because the question is, why would someone go above and beyond? Ultimately, if they can get the same or similar money somewhere else down the road doing the same or similar job for one of your competitors, why do they stick with you when the going gets tough? Because sometimes it does. And that is the intrinsic motivation that ultimately forms employee engagement. And that's that's what we're, we're trying to sort of measure here and, and, and give an idea of. So we're, we're tapping into something that's internal, that's, that's unique to every employee, I guess, in some ways. And I guess once you've sort of scratched that itch of that intrinsic motivator, then you've got utopia, I guess, haven't you? You've got this engaged employer, highly motivated, will go the extra mile. How we how do we sort of start in an organization? And some people might be listening out there who are in massive organizations, through to people who might have just ten staff, and and in some ways they both have challenges on size in terms of how that go about engaging sort of employees or workforce. Where do we start with this? How do we sort of get to that point of understanding those intrinsic motivators? Because I'm presuming we're thinking everybody has a different motivator to go to work and why they do what they do. This this is true, and actually, you know, when when you focus on it on a, on that individual level, it it, it can, can get quite complicated. But you know, one thing that I would say we need to look at first, and of course, this is this is something you talk about quite a lot, is you know, what what's the vision of the company, and I'll, and do your people buy it? Because one of the big things that gives us um, motivation is is a feeling of being something larger than us. And so finding, I mean, we spoke about it on, on the What a Future podcast, uh, you know, recently about finding this, this vision that you can share with people that says, this is why we do what we do. And this is why when it gets tough, it's worth doing what we're doing, because we're not just, you know, the, what we talked about there was making paperclips, but, you know, we're not just doing this sort of simple, uh, methodical process thing. Actually, what we're trying to do is is solve a, a problem or help people or, or, or do this thing. And starting there is often a, a good place uh, to go. Something I've certainly seen uh, a, a long way through is that companies that cannot express their vision in a a visionary way ultimately um they they struggle to engage employees who who you know turn around quite rightly and say well you know those people down the road will pay me you know a pound an hour more and therefore i'm going to go and do that because i've got no reason to stay so this is something that's quite compelling that's quite exciting that's quite 
as you say, it's much bigger than them. It's even bigger than the company, isn't it? It's something that's far stretching. I, I recently did a, a session with a, an organization and uh, I did a whole vision value session. And it was interesting to see the shift. And this was with a board, a uh, board of trustees, and how they gone from being okay to be completely excited and motivated once they cracked and got their vision and got their mission. And uh, it was in, in, incredibly engaging. They suddenly, you could just see this energy in the room just rise when it just hit them. And they said, oh, we can go and talk about this. We can share this. And and it, it tapped into that intrinsic thing. They wanted to do it and stuff. So going beyond that, because that, that's like almost like a broad brush. And that's what you should be doing as an organization is create this uh, vision or making a place that's more purposeful, meaningful place to work rather than just doing the job. It's you're contributing to something far bigger. Um, what else can we do as, as leaders in organizations to sort of, I guess, I suppose, take it down at level? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the logical sort of next step, you know, okay, I've got this this vision, I've got this reason for being as a company, but what's my reason for being as an individual employee? What is it that I do that makes this thing happen, makes this vision progress? And, you know, from an that's the question the employee asks, the question that the employer needs to ask is, you know, are, are we making people feel that way? Are we listening to them? Are we solving the problems that they face? Are we ultimately getting out of their way and letting them take ownership for their work and and push forward in, in, in that direction? And so, you know, there's this sort of like, you know, they're, they're the well, we say quick wins. I mean, visions can can be years in the making, you know, so it's not necessarily a quick win. But maybe actually the quicker win is, you know, find a way to understand what your employees want now. <laughs> because if you if you can understand that, then you can start to fix those problems. And you can also double up by making sure that people are aware that they are listened to. They are important. They are not just a cog in a machine doing a thing. They are a voice in a, an organization that has a vision. And those two uh, sort of polar opposites there, I think, are the difference uh, in many ways between a disengaged and engaged organization. So we're sort of treading into the world of sort of engagement surveys, aren't we now, into that people getting feedback and understanding and, and, and probably a number of people listening to us now are, are, are probably sighing and thinking, oh, yes, we're coming around to ours right now. We're about to do it just for yeah. Christmas or whenever they do it. Um, there's a lot of negativity towards um, engagement surveys. You know, from my own experiences, you know, it's seemed very, it seems very disconnected, some of the questions, very long-winded and it's a one-time, one-year, once-a-year type of thing, and not always a lot done with it as a follow-up, and or, or it becomes quite a big task in itself. I think, and it comes come up, a lot of razzmatazz becomes behind it, and a lot of energy. And I, to me, I don't think it's always the best way. And I think there's almost that. And I, and I don't know the app what you do. We're not going to go into detail of that. But in terms of what's your thoughts on the whole principle of an engagement surveys and trying to find out information on on mass? I mean, there's a good spirit about now isn't there yeah i mean i always say to people you know if you have no engagement survey get an get an annual survey if you've got an annual survey get something better like you know i i declared war a long time ago on the annual survey it is better than no survey but not by a lot um you, you're quite right there's a there's a number of issues you're you're tackling a lot of things all in one go it's overwhelming uh for uh you know everyone from the people who are i saw an annual survey recently with 180 questions in it you know if you're expecting people to still 
be answering, you know, with maximum gusto at the end of that, then then I've got some news for you. Um, but but secondly, you know, you've got this this information coming in. You're tackling so much all in one go. By and large, it's got to go via the board. You're introducing these strategies, and then you've got to deploy said strategy. And you know, now you may be six months down the line by the time you've actually analysed the information, got it all going. And then lo and behold, after that, you've now got another six months to wait until the survey goes out to find out whether your strategy is actually doing anything. And so the whole thing is working on this really poor feedback loop that that doesn't give you live insights into whether something's working. And an example I mean here is, you know, if you imagine walking into, you know, a sales manager's office and saying, um, right, we've got this new idea. We're going to go and do this new thing uh, to fix our sales. We're not going to find out whether it's going to work for a year. You know, you're just going to be sent straight back out of that room, and that sales manager is never going to talk to you ever again because it's just preposterous that, that you know that you do this without getting that information. And yet, this is what we do with, by and large, the largest item on our PL, which is our staff. And so, I don't, I don't get it from from that respect. The second issue is that when you do an annual survey like that, is that it's one, it's a moment in time. I once spoke with a head of HR from uh, from Tesco who told me that they do their annual surveys in January because no one's more frustrated and annoyed than they are in January. So if we ask the questions, then we'll get all of the answers that we that we need. We can go and fix all the problems and everything's great. And I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. You know, good, good logic there. Anyway, I, I left the call and I thought to myself, but what if your shops are hot in the summer? Because no one's thinking about that in January. And and this is the the sort of issue that you've got. So one, you've got no way to actually sort of get feedback on whether the solutions that you've got are working. But two, you don't even know whether those solutions are correct because you've asked it at a point in time rather than getting a sentiment over a period of time. The last issue, <laughs> and then I will shut up. Um, the last issue is that um, the, the world is changing so fast these days. You know, Justin Trudeau said the world has never moved as fast as it is now, and yet it'll never move this slow again. The pace of change is only increasing, and the pace of change, unlike the you know the the, the 1980s, 1990s, even into the 2000s, you know, we had massive technological advancements there with computers and mobile phones and all that. But even then, the change was gradual you could somewhat keep up with it now every time you you go on a news site you hear something new about what ai is going to do to work and and you know th- this change is is happening so fast that if you're only surveying annually you're missing you know multiple changes that have happened in that in that period so that's my my uh, anti annual survey rant sorry <laughs> no 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 and i, and I get the, the premise obviously the survey gets feedback and the survey is not the only way of, of, of getting feedback. And I think as a leader, how else should they, because I think the feedback piece is really important because that's understanding your employees, where they're at, what, what's happening, what their concerns. What other ways can a, a leader of an organization or a team get that feedback or interact in a way that starts to understand what's going on, what motivates them and how else they can sort of help support their team? So yeah, there's a few things here from a from a sort of micro level all the way up to a macro level. And I mean, the first thing is that you know a manager's job. If you know, most books that I've that I've read or through, you know, all the way from um, first break all the rules all the way through to sort of Patrick Lencioni um, stuff. You know, one of the biggest things that a manager should be doing is working out how to engage their staff. Like that's that's principally the the, the manager's job. You know, and, and managing that the staff are making sure that the processes are happening. But it starts with the staff, not the processes. 
And so that's the sort of first thing is making sure that your managers are actually doing that, providing training if necessary, and even from a leadership position, embodying it, going and talking to, to people and, and saying, you know, how can I make your life easier? How can I help you? How can how can we make this this better? That's the first thing. But the second thing is to realize, I think, that um asking if you're a senior leader and you go and ask someone on the shop floor how's it going the answer will be everything's brilliant thank you so much i love this job really great great to be here you know by and large that's the answer you're going to get yet they'll still hand in their notice the following week because they've just flat out lied to you and what they're you know what they don't want is is conflict and this is natural it's not that they're trying to deceive you or being nasty it's just that they don't want the conflict they don't want to be you know this is their livelihood um and and people are scared to to bring up issues because even if they've never had a bad experience in your company by large they've probably had a bad experience somewhere else and so it's two-sided. On the one hand, you need to go in there and create that culture of trust and make sure that you're having these conversations and discussing with people the, the problems they're facing and how you can fix them. The second thing is you, you also need to provide a way that they can feed information back to the company anonymously whenever they need to in order to, to be able to share the things that are on their, on their mind. If you just leave it to an open-door policy, then you're one... Um, that massively favors extroverts and people that are quite happy to shout about things of which some are out there. That's great. That's fine. The world needs those people. It also needs the people who sit and get stuff done. But those people who sit and get stuff done tend not to bring you problems until they're too late and actually would probably rather just resign than actually address the problem because they don't want the conflict. And so if your open door policy is there, that's fine, but someone needs to go and walk through it. And that's, that's the issue. They're not necessarily going to going to do that. The open door policy is another thing I declared war on a little while ago. You've got various other issues because you combine that with the kind of management idea of don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And now you're putting the impetus on, on people, you know, in a way that isn't isn't healthy. And you're, again, creating that barrier to sharing information. You know, all of these sort of problems combine into a, a sort of cookie cutter situation that actually doesn't um, create what. I suppose is the fundamental here, which is treat in, treating employees like adults rather than prescribing um, a sort of situation on them. Yeah, I guess also what we're talking here is trying to create an environment where it's psychologically safe, isn't it? Where people feel they can share a grievance, they can share a concern, they can challenge, and you know, and that's a sort of a not say utopia but it's certainly an, an environment where organizations want to get to, towards more as being more psychologically safe within teams where you start to pick up more because people feel comfortable to sort of you know shout out you know in a respectful kind way all that sort of stuff it doesn't have to be in a bad way it's still just just voicing their concerns in an open way feeling that they won't be shot down they won't be sacked for it they won't be you know sort of marginalized because they stood out of line so to speak uh, and I've I've found organisations that create that is usually the leaders have to take the the lead on that and almost role model, and almost they show to their seniorities that they're challenging it, stepping out, risk taking, and everything else, and creating a, a psychologically safe environment where people feel they can do that. And then you start to get that sort of feedback. And and honestly, when I was working a number of years ago, I I would almost literally walk the floor, and it wasn't just about what you hear. It's also what you're observing as well and, and what you're seeing. And you, you can, not that you can see motivation, always hear motivation, but you can sense how people are going about it, their tone, their language, and you can start to pick up little potential problems that you might need to sort of address or understand. 
Um, so feedback is quite important in creating that. So when you when you're gathering feedback, whether you get it from an engagement survey or a, or a pulse survey or just day to day anecdotal, how do we best turn that into action in, in or that insight, I guess, into action to to help sort of to, to create a culture that is really engaging with the employees? Sure. I mean, this is a, a to, to an extent, I suppose it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string question because certain things are, are easy fixes and certain things are massive, um, you know, organization wide fixes. Um, but I think the, the, the biggest thing here is communication. So if you can um, get plenty of communication from your people to understand what is important to them, and then you can communicate back to them why we can't tackle this thing right now. And this is the genuine reason. And we're not lying or hiding anything you know, from you, but this is the situation. However, we can definitely fix this and this and this um, by creating that kind of two-way um, sort of respectful relationship where information is provided and fed back on honestly. I think that that's really important. And, and this all adds into what you're saying. I'm really glad you brought up psychological safety. Um, you know, Google's Project Aristotle study was very, very interesting in finding high-performing teams. And the one thing that they put at the top of the list is psychological safety. And as you say, this is somewhat utopian. You sit there and say, well, you know, we want psychologically safe teams. Like, okay, brilliant. That's harder than you think, um, you know, but it is absolutely where we should go to. And this is a sort of sliding scale. And what you definitely don't want is a massively psychologically unsafe team. But unfortunately, more than we do admit are psychologically unsafe where you know a manager sort of punishes people in whatever way for speaking out or, or or saying that there's an issue with something or even making a suggestion having it shouted down you know these are unfortunately things that we see all the time in in companies you know sometimes it can fly under the radar and it's you know one small team of a big organization where otherwise everything's fine but but the manager's struggling and, and, and needs some help and by and large providing the support to the manager is the first step of creating that psychological safety. And with um, creating a place that's engaging, what do you think gets in the way uh, of this? What, what's the sort of factors that sort of hold organizations back? Because, you know, in essence, most organizations want to have an engaged workforce. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an obvious thing and it's really, but it's not that easy to do. But what do you think gets in the way of those leaders of that organization sort of not uh, attaining to that? I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. Um, I think one of the big things, uh, to be honest, is, is sort of fear of of change, fear of of difference, um, and this can be, you know, very difficult to to overcome um, and and work on. You know, you might hear the thing that you don't want to hear, and that can be can be hard for people. Now, that's not everyone, but I have I've noticed that at, you know at times, if, if people have said to me, "Well, if I don't ask the question, then I don't get the bad answers." It's well, you know, fine, but the bad answers are still there. It's not that not asking the question means that they don't exist; like they do, you just don't know about them. Um, so, I think that's that's one of the first things. I think the other thing is that. Running a business is hard. Um, whether it's a, a big established business and you're the you know the seventh CEO in its history, or even the hundredth CEO in its history, you know there's there's new challenges. There's people pulling you left, right, and centre. There's shareholders. There's um, stakeholders in terms of customers and clients and employees and suppliers, and they're all talking at you all the time. And they all need answers and information. You're pushing things forward. You know that's the same all the way down to the founder-led um, you know businesses of of any size. You know there's so much happening in in companies that we end up spending a lot of time treading water to try and keep afloat. Um, 
And actually, what we sometimes need to do is say, I need to let go for a minute, because actually, if I spend a bit of time here fixing this problem, then everyone else will be able to help me better. <laughs> and and this is the, you know, I think something that, that hamstrings a lot of companies um, is it, it holds them back into this kind of, we just need to get through this next quarter kind of mentality, as opposed to where are we going to be in five years time and how do we get there mentality? That's easier said than done, um, but it is an important step to, to to make. And by and large, employee engagement is is a question of how do we how how can we be the best in five years' time, rather than how are we going to get through this quarter. Yeah, it's going back to the very sort of starting point, isn't it? Almost that more visionary, more longer term perspective, isn't it? To keep people's gaze on a, a further, longer distance, as opposed to just short termism, in a sense. And mm-hmm. we we now operate, obviously. In a, in a hybrid world, some people work, operate completely remotely and they might have a mix of that going on in organizations. How do we keep that engagement going? Because it's more challenging because obviously you're not, you haven't got water cooler moments, you haven't got those coffee moments and just walking around the office, you're just interacting with somebody purely on a, like that, like we are now on a, on a sort of laptop. How do we create that engagement or enhance our engagement uh, within the sort of workforce? Absolutely. I mean, this is this is where I get, I suppose, a bit more hardcore on the on on the matter. Is that you know the world has changed, um, as you've mentioned. Uh, it's due to COVID. It started happening just before COVID. Um, we started to see a move in this direction, but COVID was the you know the the massive accelerant that, that, that caused this. And now a lot of companies are expecting their managers, um, both senior and junior line managers to keep in touch with and call their employees and maintain that relationship, catch up with them constantly, you know, maintain a relationship the same way that we do when we talk about how life is going as we queue in Tesco to buy our meal deal at lunch, which is something we don't do anymore. By and large, our research and and, and our observations are that this is not happening. Um, Managers through no fault of their own, are not engaging people in the same way that they were before. These people are feeling engaged. The people that are feeling that way are starting to look at other places and they're starting to say, if I go over there, they'll care for me a bit more. Um, and the problem that we've got here is this this results in, in a big exodus of, of people. And companies have started to see this already. And it's going to continue. And if we continue to throw old solutions at new problems, then this is just going to get out of hand and we're going to see a big divide between the companies that have fixed this problem and the companies that have not fixed this problem. And so what we need is to ensure that we have new technology, new solutions, new thinking around these problems in order to be to be pushing that forward. And if we're not doing that, we're, we're just, you know, it's all very well sitting there thinking, how are we going to get through the next quarter? But that question will very quickly become, oh, my God, how do we replace that team that has just walked out? Mm. And we're, you know, we're seeing seeing this this happen. Um, and, and this is, you know, a dangerous, dangerous place. I think the thing that is staving this off from crisis point right now is the threat of recession and cost of living crisis. Um, when that, as, as in that people, sort of, people, people are holding into their, into their jobs until yeah. they feel a bit unsure this, at the moment to move. Exactly. This is artificially holding back the floodgates. And at some point, 
that floodgate is going to open. Those companies who are in a really good position to care and look after their hybrid employees are going to win that that battle very, very quickly. And the people that that, that left it and said, oh, well, let's focus on getting through this next quarter, they're going to have, have a, a, a real crisis hit them, hit them quickly. So if you're an organization and you want to be best in class in this and you want to do, you know, maintain your staff, retain them, engage them, what, and I, I you know, sort of come towards the end of our time, what one or two things should they do to try and get ahead of the curve so that, so they don't get this loss in, you know, six, 12 months time? Um, first thing is, is get a system that allows people to be heard within your company. Um, get, talking to them, get understanding what the problems they are facing are, and then be prepared to go and rip up the rule book and go and move forward and fix those problems. Don't do things rashly. Do things because you have, um, you know, data and reason uh, to do these things. But the this is how it's always been is is not going to wash uh, any, any longer. That's the first thing. The second thing, and, and this is the thing that I offer to, to everyone who's get some manager training. Um, the Charter Management Institute uh, indicates that 66%, two-thirds of uh, managers in the UK are accidental managers. They are there because they have done well in a job and then been promoted because the team has grown and now they need to look after someone else. That's absolutely fine. That's the way of life and the, and the way of business. But making sure these people have the knowledge, the skills, and ultimately the, the temperament that they need to go and be great managers, that's now their job. You know, you promote your best salesperson to a management position, that's fine. You've just lost your best salesperson. And you've now gained a manager who is not necessarily a manager. That's not to say they can't be. Maybe they will be the greatest manager you've ever had, but training is going to get them there, not just leaving them to their own devices. Now, you talked about technology, uh, which I know is is, is your bag. And uh, it'd mm-hmm. just be good for you just to share how that works for you not in a not in a salesy way just as a a fundamental principle how that's working with the organizations you're working with and and the the sort of feedback you're getting and how that's starting to sort of change things and well there's a case study you know just gives an example that would be great Sure. Yeah, we, we a number of. I mean, obviously, I can go on for, for hours about it. I won't because I know we're coming to the end of end of time. But yeah, Water is a is a, an automated surveying platform, um, and it's live. It's regular. It, it actually uses an algorithm to generate the best set of questions for every person on a daily basis. They don't log in daily. Some do, but they don't have to. Um, generally speaking, we're looking at weekly, fortnightly, monthly logins, whatever whatever that may be. We're collecting information. The important thing here is we're giving the power to the employee to answer questions whenever they want to answer them. Whenever they have something to say, they can come along and say it. We then use uh, state-of-the-art uh, anal- analysis techniques, including uh, a number of AI. We have an AI expert in-house. Um, we've built a number of AI uh, neural networks that, that look into this data for you and give you uh, areas that you're either strong on or that need some work, et cetera. And then we allow you to, to create actions uh, and, and plan your strategy around these things and track whether they work and continue to reach out to your people and understand not just, um, you know, some, someone mentioned this once and now we've changed it and hope for the best. It becomes a, we know that this matters to 75% of our people. We've spoken to them about the solution. We've come to the conclusion that this is the solution now we're going to monitor it for the next three months and ensure that it does fix the problem because if it doesn't we can improve it we can maybe recoup the budget and put it somewhere else we can you know we can make sure that 
this side of it doesn't become a finger in the air or, you know, I think it worked. What do you do? You know, it, it becomes a data led. This is the problem. This is the solution. We know it's working and this is the data that backs it up. And I think that's the direction we need to be need to be running in. Yeah, what I like about that is knowing you get the data and the insight, it's all real time. And as you say, you can you can put some actions in place and then within a few months you can see how that's affected. And I think that's it's and it's like a finger on the pulse, which is why it's called a pulse survey type of thing. I guess that's so stating the obvious. I often state the obvious. That's fine, um, <laughs> but I think that's that's really helpful though. And I think that's what organisation, as you say, things are changing so rapidly now. Uh, you need to know exactly what's going on with your organisation, how they're thinking, how they're feeling, and where they're at, and how you can best embrace that and and use it for your advantage to make the organisation <laughs> really sort of thrive. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, Fraser. Uh, if people want to sort of connect connect with you and engage with you, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, LinkedIn is where I'm uh, most active. Uh, that, that's probably the best place if you want to get in touch with me directly. Um, if you want to hear more about Water, of course, there's our website. There's lots of information on there, including case studies, and blogs, and, and various other elements and, and various ways there that you can reach out to us as well. So um, we're always keen to, to talk to people uh, in the in the industry, uh, you know, in in the uh, the wider world of, of work, you know, those who agree with us, those who disagree with us, great. Let's go and have a chat. You know, the, the, this is a big problem. Um, let's let's all be part of a, a solution. So, really welcome anyone uh, reaching out and, and sharing their thoughts. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today, Fraser. My pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Julian. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.